Hello, and welcome to Ed Infinitum, the podcast that makes school the subject of study. I'm your host, David Nuremberg. This is Season 1, Episode 9, The Utopian We've All Forgotten About. I did promise when I created this podcast that at some points here and there, I profile some transformational thinkers in education, folks whose ideas really shaped our contemporary beliefs and institutions related to school. I will admit that picking whom to focus on was a real challenge. I mean, how far back should I go? Plato and Aristotle? Confucius and Mencius? John Locke? Ralph Waldo Emerson? You'd be surprised just how many people contributed ideas to the institutions of school that we find so familiar today. I decided for the sake of just putting some brackets somewhere to look at the late 19th and early 20th centuries, because that's the time that the modern institution of formal schooling as we understand it in America really took shape. But in this episode, we will start with one earlier individual, John Amos Comenius. He's not exactly a famous Amos. Sorry, couldn't resist. And you won't find too many people outside of the academic study of education who've heard of him, which is why I thought he'd be a good individual to focus on for our first history episode. John Amos Comenius was born in 1592 in the Margraviate of Moravia in the Bohemian Crown. That's in the modern-day Czech Republic for folks who aren't necessarily up on their 16th century Eastern European history. He was the only son in a family of four sisters, two of whom had died, along with his parents, by the time he was 12. He went on to live with his aunt and didn't have enough money to begin any sort of formal education until around age 16. Remember, this is a time and a place long before free public education. When he did manage to scrape up enough money for school tuition, he went to a church-run Latin school, where he likely spent most of his time reading classical and some medieval authors and getting lots of moral lessons and fables about behaving himself drilled into him by church officials. For what we might consider the equivalent of his college education, Comenius attended Herborn Academy in Germany, which at the time of his study there had become a famous center of an educational philosophy called Ramism. Ramism formed out of Calvinist philosophy, and despite a brief spurt of popularity it enjoyed across Western Europe, there's a reason not many people remember it today. It was pretty much universally criticized by Jesuits, Lutherans, even by other Calvinists. And if you're not a theologian, the details aren't all that important. The relevant piece for us here is that it provided a method of systematizing all branches of knowledge, or at least attempting to, emphasizing the relevance of theory to practical applications. We're not talking counting angels and heads of pins anymore, but applying the knowledge you learn to real-world situations. It de-emphasized memorization as the key method of learning, and instead focused on developing more sophisticated methods, something that René Descartes would pick up on and run with a few decades later and make much more famous. Fun fact, the most famous dreamist is probably John Milton, the author of Paradise Lost, and believe me, you can see that philosophy play out all throughout that work. At roughly the same time that our famous Amos Comenius was at Herburn, so was a man named Johann Heinrich Alsted, who is probably best known for coming up with the idea of an encyclopedia. For anyone listening who's 25 years or younger, encyclopedias were these huge books that we used to have that sought to become a reference for all human knowledge, at least everything that was academically deemed worth knowing by people in the West. And owning a set of these giant books or visiting a library to page through them allowed you to do the kind of research that we nowadays use the internet for. But the whole idea of trying to create a singular repository of things to know, arguably the raison d'etre of the internet, or at least of Wikipedia, that was Alstead's doing. And although I haven't been able to determine if he and Comenius actually met, Comenius definitely caught the bug of the encyclopedic, pan-sophic philosophy, the desire to know everything. 
The Pan-Sophic vision of God was of omniscience, of a deity that encapsulated all that was knowable and possible to know. And so Comenius came to hold the belief that everything must be taught to everyone, and became the first major thinker in Christian Western Europe to envision something like universal public education for all. To be sure, Martin Luther over a hundred years earlier had called for compulsory schooling for all so that everyone would be able to read the Bible by themselves, but Comenius was talking about something far more ambitious. Before that, in the West of Antiquity, it was really only Plato who ever called for such a thing. Of course, the Christian Western tradition was pretty late to the game here. Ever since at least the 6th century BCE, ancient Judaism had been enjoining parents to teach their children the Torah. Again, we're talking religious education here, mainly for boys. There really wasn't such a thing as secular education back then. And by the 60s and 70s CE, High Priest Yehoshua ben Gamiel instituted a law that every province and town in Judea had to educate all children between ages 6 to 13. This system of proto-elementary education survived hundreds of years later. By the 3rd and 6th century, you start getting proverbs like, the city whose children are not going to school will be ruined. As the Roman conquest led to an increasing diaspora for Jews, they took that commitment to universal education with them, eventually extending it, although often informally, to girls. Education for Jews was often seen as a method of cultural survival, a way of preserving their identity in cultures where they were always the minority. We can also look to Islam. From the very beginnings of that religion, Muhammad has a lot of hadiths attributed to him about the importance of seeking knowledge. And in the 1200s, a famous Islamic scholar, and please forgive me any of my Muslim listeners, I'm going to have a real tough time pronouncing this, Burhan al-Islam al-Zarnuji, wrote what became essentially Islam's guide for teaching and had to set up the precursors of madrasas and other Sharia schools. Learning is prescribed for us all, he said. These early commitments to something like universal education provided a large part of the reason that literacy rates among Jewish and Muslim societies, even when they were just diaspora communities, pretty much always exceeded those in Christian Europe. I did find some mention of the Aztec Triple Alliance, which ruled from 1428 to 1521 in what's now central Mexico, as the first time a state in roughly the form that we understand the concept of a state today, to implement a system of universal compulsory education. But I've been having a hard time confirming that. I think, as in most things, China probably got to the punch earliest. With attempts at creating universal education dating all the way back to the Western Han Dynasty in around 206 BCE, so, yeah, Comenius wasn't the first person in the world to believe that everyone out there was entitled to and should learn everything there was to learn. But it was still a pretty radical idea to come forth with that in Western Europe at the time. Comenius took that idea with him when he became a school rector himself. And even when the European religious wars forced him to flee to Poland, he just took up teaching there. And he became so well known that the government of Sweden subsequently recruited him as a consultant to design their burgeoning universal education system. And when England took a look at that, they brought him over to do the same thing. Comenius was even asked at one point to become president of Harvard University over in the American colonies, but passed up the offer. I suspect it was the New England winters that dissuaded him. But no one's without their critics, and because of his support for Protestantism, Polish Catholics wound up burning Comenius's house, his printing press, and his manuscripts, forcing him to flee again, this time to the Netherlands, where he lived out the rest of his days, dying in 1670 at the back then pretty darned impressive age of 78. Over that time, he married and outlived three wives and was survived by a bunch of kids who went on to hold prominent religious positions all across Europe. 78 years of life gives you a lot of time to write, 
and Comenius produced over 40 books. His most famous is the Didactica Magna, or Great Didactic, where he outlined a plan for a system of schooling that looks an awful lot like the contemporary American system of kindergarten, elementary school, secondary school, and college or university. Comenius's ideas about the way education should run inspired pretty much every subsequent Western education scholar, Rousseau, Pestalozzi, Froebel. Comenius was the first to formulate that idea of, quote, education according to nature, unquote, that was so influential during the latter part of the 18th and early part of the 19th century. What is education according to nature, you might ask? Well, it involves using objects as well as words to learn ideas. It involves starting with what's familiar to a child and using that as a bridge to new content. It involves a conception of learning as interdisciplinary, and it involves making learning as fun and engaging as possible. Comenius is also known for creating what is, I believe, the world's first picture book for children, the Orbis Sensualum Pictus. It was printed in, where else, but Nuremberg, Germany. Hey, it's nice to have my last name associated with something besides Nazi rallies and later war crimes trials. Comenius designed the Orbis Sensualum Pictus as an instructional tool. It includes, among other things, a giant illustrated list of dozens of animals and the noises they make. Although, just in case you got your hopes up, no, it does not answer that age-old question, what does the fox say? The Orbis Sensualum Pictus is the ur-ancestor of all subsequent primers, and yes, even today's textbooks. So if your school backpack weighs a ton, you've got Comenius to thank. Even though I don't think he'd approve in the slightest of the often dry and abstract way in which so many contemporary textbooks are written, the Orbis Sensualum Pictus was designed to excite and engage kids with the heretofore unknown idea of cool illustrations. In modern times, the National Council of Teachers of English confers the Orbis Pictus Award for Outstanding Nonfiction for Children. They've been doing this since at least 1990. If you Google the award-winning titles, it's rather fascinating there are no household names among them. At least, no names my household recognized. Your household may differ. So it's worth your while to check out some high-quality little kid lit that you've likely been missing. The NCTE Award is not the only contemporary way that Comenius is honored. UNESCO has the Comenius Medal to honor achievements in the field of education research and innovation. And Comenius's native Czech Republic celebrates his birthday, the 28th of March, as Teacher's Day. They also have a university named after him in Prague, and that's just the beginning. Colleges and schools have been named after Comenius in Germany, Hungary, and Slovakia. Apparently, the one in Slovakia was the first university to ever teach courses entirely in Slovak. As for America, well, we have no colleges named after him here, at least as far as I could find. Maybe we're still bitter that he turned down Harvard? But after some exhaustive research, I did find there's at least one building named after Comenius in the United States, on the campus of Moravian College in Pennsylvania. I will show my ignorance again and admit that I'd never heard of Moravian College before researching this episode, so I googled it, and wouldn't you know, it's the sixth oldest college in the United States and the first to educate women, and the first to educate Native Americans in their own languages. So, interesting. But whether or not we remember his name here, Comenius had a huge and surprisingly direct influence on American education in the way he inspired one Francis Parker, who in the late 1800s rediscovered Comenius's work and became one of the most influential thinkers in American education. John Dewey? That guy swiped pretty much all of his ideas from Parker. But we'll get to him and a lot of other people in future episodes. One last fun fact. Comenius apparently attempted during his lifetime to design a language in which false statements would be impossible to express. Can you imagine what advertising, politics, and the news industry would look like if linguistic fakery were impossible? 
Well, until someone finally perfects that, you'll have to settle for that 2009 Ricky Gervais and Jennifer Gardner movie, The Invention of Lying. Once we get to Ricky Gervais, that's a sign we need to wrap up. So... That's all the time we have for now. Class dismissed, and we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. If you did, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you found us. Like us on our Facebook page. And if you really enjoy it, please consider visiting our website, www.ed-infinitum.com, and making a donation to keep it running. Otherwise, in the grand tradition of underfunded public schools, we'll be reliant on only what we can make from bake sales. The website is the place to go if you want to suggest a topic or send me an email for any other reason. Our theme music is Happy Schoolmaster by Mind Music ID. Thanks again for listening, and remember, every day brings us opportunities to learn something new. Still with us? Great! Here is today's education fun fact. According to the School Nutrition Association's 2018 survey, which included responses from 1,550 member school districts across America, the typical lunch period length is about half an hour, with a median of 25 minutes for elementary schools and 30 minutes for middle and high schools. If that fact has you or your children feeling a little rushed for lunchtime, you might be interested to know that in Brazil, lunch period lasts for an entire hour. And in France, lunch breaks can last up to two hours. Lunch is actually a part of the curriculum in France, and children are taught table manners and eating etiquette during that time. One of the many reasons I feel like a clumsy, oafish American compared to my French counterparts. That's all for now. Bye.